411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. You know, the world is full of people with good intentions. But it's the people who put intentions to action that make the difference. And I have somebody joining me today who is a man of action. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, real people, real talk. I am talking about Mr. Andre Lee Ellis. I've known him for a little while. He is a community advocate, a mentor, an influencer, an earth dad, and we'll explain that a little bit later. He is a man with a big heart. And uh, I think um, in recent years, that heart has had a, a few physical problems, but it's still a big part, a big heart. Andre, thank you so much for joining me. And how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am wonderful. You know what? I am so excited to have you join me for the 411 Live. Because well, I'm, ex- I'm excited to be here. I have so much respect for you. I have so much respect for the man that you are, the things that you have, have accomplished, the people you have influenced. Um, you have a huge resume. Mm. So um, I was asking you, how are you? And I was talking about a man with a big heart, which you do. You have uh, you love on kids. You encourage kids. Uh, but I know that you've had a few heart ailments, uh, a couple of maybe a couple of heart attacks or maybe more. Actually, four. Four. I've um, um, been on that intensive care unit table struggling four different times. Um oh, wow. And, and 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 whether it's big or whether it's small, it's the heart. And when you're there, you're thinking, this may be my last time, I don't know. And I've always, I've had four opportunities to think, have I done enough on this earth, God, that it's my time to go? And every time that I've decided that no on that table, God allowed me to come back because it's not my time to go. So I have congestive heart failure. It doesn't have me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last time I talked to you, you said you were feeling really well. I feel really well. The last episode I had was over a year ago. And for for a while, I was having episodes at least once or twice a year. I would be in that hospital getting checked out and wondering what's going on because mm. I'm too tired, out of breath and walking and working. I've been in the heat longer than I should and didn't drink any water or anything or eat any food and not knowing what all the, how, how, how draining the sun's energy can be and even the cold weather. So when you have health issues, you got to look at the seasons as they change and you got to dress accordingly and you can't eat and do what everybody else does. So Happy to be alive, Beverly. I'm going to be 60 next month. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Happy early birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd rather have it early than not have it at all. I know that's right. I know that's right. Hey, what's your morning message? Oh, wow. What's my morning message today? <laughs> today, my morning message is a, a thing that I do on Facebook because everybody wakes up to find out what was last night's mess. Mm-hmm. And I say you should wake up to 
find out what was what is today and be blessed. Don't look for the mess, look for the bless. And so I try to provide a message that gets them started, whether it be political, whether it be social, whether it be um, um, individual, whether it be music, or whether it's just a happy tone, because there's so much bad stuff going on in the world that I think the first thing you hear in the morning shouldn't be bad news. Here's some good news first, and then when the bad stuff comes, at least you can say, I like how I was feeling before I had the bad news. I'm going to go back to that itself. There you go. I like that. I like that. And I like the messages. So they're very yeah. good. Very inspiring. Good way to wake up in the morning. Let's talk about um, We Got This. Because okay. you're, you're best known for that. Um, and I like the story you tell. Well, first of all, you moved in, uh, what, Ninth and Ring, near that area in... Ninth and Ring, exactly. What, 2011 or so? When did you move there? Um, it, it must have been around 2011. Okay. And, yeah. and I remember, you know, I, I did, when I was at Fox 6... I did a story with you and uh, Khalil Coleman, and there was somebody else, and we talked. Yeah, and we talked about that area, and I remember that there had been a a shooting, a murder right there, about that time, right? Yeah. Um, how I got to Ninth and Ring was that we were living in Burris Hill, but it was just struggling so hard. The money got really tight, so we had to move. And in the midnight hour, so we found a place on Ninth and Ring. It wasn't wasn't the best place, but we didn't have anywhere else to go. My wife and my grandson and I. So we took the place, and when we moved in, it it, it was it was the noisiest block ever. I mean, there was so much going on. A lot of drug building, a lot, a lot of bad stuff happening. So the first week that I was there, I left out of the house and I went into the corner store across the street just to get a couple of things. And um, when I came back in out of the store, I went into the house and no sooner than I closed the door, six gunshots rang out. They were so loud and so vivid. I thought someone was shooting at me. My wife ran from the kitchen and she gasped, thinking that, that that's what it was as well. But when we looked out the window, there was a young man, 30-something years old, laying dead in the streets. And I came out on the porch and we watched that fiasco unravel for hours. And I became so frustrated that families could not get past the yellow tape that that, that 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 the police were sometimes very rude and mean to people that were screaming because their loved one was laying right there in the middle of the street dead and they wanted to do whatever they could to save them say goodbye whatever but i understand that they can't let everybody around them during that that confusion but there was next to me an empty lot with some tattered boxes and stuff and i didn't know anything about raised bed boxes or compost bins so i asked the kids there well what is this supposed to be and a little girl put her hand on her hip and said it's supposed to be a garden but don't nobody never grow nothing in it <laughs> and i said oh wow well maybe we need to take our hands off the trigger and put them back into the soil and i'll tell you that opened something in me so um i, I started calling for the neighbors to meet every time Time there was an incident, every time a gunshot went off, every time there was a fight, every time there was a scream and a holler, I would, I would turn on the music and I'd light up the grill and get free hot dogs and hamburgers. But before anybody could eat, they had to hear my message. There again, that would be me and those messages. Yeah. And my message 
the messengers that we could get along. And one of the first messages was, let's start the Good Morning Club. And the Good Morning Club, I said, we don't need, I'm not in charge. Nobody's in charge. Everybody's in charge. There's one rule and there's no meeting. The meetings are every time we see each other, we say good morning or hello. And I guarantee you that that'll change the dynamics of everything going on. And when we started saying hi to each other, I noticed that the conversations got larger. Girl, you got some eggs. I buy the eggs. I'll give you one when I get back from the store. <laughs> hey, your little boy was in the street yesterday and I rescued him. He almost got hit by a car. Boy, come here. Stay out of the streets. So, you know, neighbors started working together, started watching each other's children. I know all of the children. I know all of the neighbors. They know each other. That's how we went from being the second highest crime block in the city to not even being on the list. Right, right. You know what? That reminds me of when I when I was growing up. Now, I'm from Tennessee, small town mm-hmm. Tennessee. But it was one of those things where the neighbor could, you know, she could spank me. She could, you know, whatever. It was okay with the mom for this neighbor to correct me. Everybody was looking out for everybody else. Everybody knew everybody. And this person, this neighbor way over here could, you know, protect the kids way over here. And Is there that, any other way we should be living? That's the way it should be. Absolutely. Is there any other way we should be living? You know what? If we policed each other's children, we wouldn't need the police except for the more violent stuff. Yeah. But we could cut out a whole lot of this little bit. You know, we don't get a lot of garages broken into and cars broken into over here because somebody at 3 o'clock in the morning go holler out their window, you better get your little ass. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> I'm a custom Christian, everybody, just in case this is a hallelujah show, you know, but, uh, um, <laughs> but somebody going to holler, you know, and, and over here, you might have to use a different kind of word to get the attention, yeah. you know what I mean? Because even working with the young men in the garden, sometimes it's not until I say a harsh word to them that I see a tear fall. And they've been waiting for that. Or I say a pleasant word to them, like, son, Mm. hey, son, come here. And they start crying, and they stand still in their footsteps, and they can't move. And I say, why? Because I don't know how to respond to something I've been waiting so long to happen. And since you're not my dad, I didn't know how to move. Well, son, come, because I don't have to be your birth dad. I'm your earth dad. You may never meet your birthday, but I'm right here right now. Come give me a hug. And I don't want nothing from you other than for you to be happy and successful. Can you do that for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So with the, um, we got this, you've got kids, what boys? This is my passion. 12, what, 12 to 18, 12 to 16? 12 to 16 is the age. But Beverly, let me just tell you this. They're two years old all the way up to 80. Mm. That's how much has grown. Grown men, I've got, we now work with men in the um, system that come home from prison, have been in jail for a long time and need to come in and do community service, finding that when they're of age to come to the garden and work with someone like me, I'm of age. So it's not a 30-year-old assistant or a 30-year-old community person, social organ, social worker that graduated from Marquette last year. Now they're practicing according to the numbers, but they get real deal holy field with me. Mm-hmm. Somebody that is of age, that's the grandfather and, and the dad. Beverly, I have been here through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, 
the 90s, from 10s, and now the 20s. That's a lot of their territory to cover. So um, the age is all men and it's families. Yeah. We have a lunch program now in the garden every day. We working along with the Running Rebels and a group called The Gathering. And we do about 75 to 100 lunches and it's two of them, a hot one and a bad lunch. Those families that get that, those children that get that, they no longer have to worry about 10 meals out of the week. You know what I mean? Yeah. That really helps their grocery bill. And sometimes when they're struggling with that quest by the end of the month before the next payment comes mm -hmm. out, that helps. We have to be helpers one to another. And that's the only way that we make, we got this work. Wow. Wow. So going back to the basics, when you really, when it first started, it was the kids, the boys 12 to 16, and they would just come every Saturday at eight o'clock and do well, some work. Because how we got this, I started the garden program first, mm -hmm. but then we got this happen because the mother was frantically knocking on my door because the police were arresting her 11 year old boy, Jermaine. And so I went to the window, who is this knocking on my door like that? Like they the police. Now, who is it out the window? And she said, Mr. Andre, you got to come. They got Jermaine. They're going to arrest him. But I bet he do a break it in cars where they should arrest him for that. They said, but he only 11. You're right. Well, where's Jermaine's father? And she said, well, we don't know. I said, well, don't worry about it. We got this. Here I come. We got this. Don't worry. Here I come. Came downstairs. Went to 5th District and they met with Officer Ray Robotowski. And, and you may know that name because they're looking at fire and police commission. So we met with Officer Robotowski first meeting him, and I explained to him, and then right there, uh, you know, I told you I was a, a custom Christian. Sometimes I stretch the truth a little bit, but when Jesus is on your side, he can make the truth. He can even make a, a bad thing good. So right then and there, I just made it up. I said, you know, you can't arrest him. He's only 11 years old, and I know he's been getting in trouble. That's why he's the first recipient of my scholarship, work in the garden that I started. I'm going to rehabilitate Jermaine. I need to work with him. I'm going to pay him $5 an hour, get $20 for four hours. Jermaine, you got to be in that garden by 8 o'clock this Saturday. Do you remember that? He was looking at me. Him and his mother was looking at me like this, man. It's crazy, but he is working it. So he said yes. And so, um, 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 um. The officer said, Officer Robotowski said to me, he said, this is great. I need to talk to the captain. What's the name of your program? And I didn't know what else to say. And I just looked at him and said, well, we got this, which is the same thing I said to the mother at the house. Mm -hmm. And now look later, look what God has done. It was prophetic. Prophetic. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more. And there's more, so much more to you because I also want to talk to talk to you about acting. So we'll be right back. This is the 411 Live. Stay with us. Anytime they're playing music downstairs, it's, it's loud. I go downstairs, see what they're doing, see what music they're doing, see what they're dancing to. I go play piano downstairs, they come get involved. Leah has a drum set beside it, banging that. Any music, uh, that's what they do. You could be spreading the coronavirus without realizing you have it. So follow guidance from authorities where you live and do your part. It's important to limit in-person interaction with anyone outside of your immediate household but phone and video chat are safe ways to connect. 
It's also important to limit any social gathering. This advice applies to people of any age, including teens and younger adults. Visit coronavirus.gov for the latest information. Welcome back to the 411 Live. Talking to my guest, Mr. Andre Lee Ellis. And when we left off, um, we were talking about the garden and how it has grown. Uh, one of the things that I also want to talk to you about the garden, you've kind of touched on this, is the needs of the boys. It's a garden, and you, you know, you're putting your hands in the soil, you're watching things grow, you're producing things, you're sharing things with the community. The boys are seeing that, and that has a big impact. But the other thing is you're you're talking to them, you're nurturing them, you've got other men coming beside you, mentoring them. You're really seeing some transformations, aren't you? I mean, and I don't know how 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 deep you want to get into this. I'm seeing some serious transformation because you're talking about once I had a hundred black boys in the garden, 12 to 16 years old, and I asked the question, how many of you don't know your dad? 90 of them raised their hand. How many of you know your dad, but still don't have a relationship with them? Five more joined them. Out of 100, only five knew their dad and possibly had a relationship. That's when I said, I may not be your birth dad, but I can be your I may not be your birth dad, but I can be your earth dad. Come to me for whatever you need, and I won't hurt you because a lot of our young boys have been broken. They've been dealing, they've dealt with pedophilia, they've dealt with mental illness untreated, they've dealt with poverty so long, they've dealt with never being hugged, always being told what you can do and what you'll never be because you're poor, black, and ugly. You know what I mean? So here you come to a garden where you meet a man that will, number one, hear you. Not only listen, but hear you. And then the second thing that he's going to do is put his hand on your shoulder and say, son, even if you're 55 years old, he's going to say, son, and let you allow you to have that moment of being called that. And then I'm going to explain that I call you son because you are one. Now you need to act like it. And I find that once they're able to speak it out, you can act it out. I call it my acting out, keep from acting up program. See yourself, be a better self. Mm. That's what I call that. And I say that to them, that it's up to you to change the course that you're going on in your life. Let me tell you this. It stopped. You could have broke out of prison or at least tried to, but you stopped. You sat there and you waited to get out of here. Now you can do the activity that you thought about that you wanted to do. See yourself. Be a better self. When little black boys finally find somebody that believe in them and tell them and show them that they can, then they want to show you that they did. So no matter what, if it's 25 years from now, they'll talk about you when you're dead and gone, or they'll come back and get you, or they'll tell it in their graduation speech long after they're successful. Wow. Wow. You know, I, I was thinking about when I first met you, and I, the memory that comes into my head was a play uh, for Color Girls. You directed that, right? It was the one at, at the King Center or at the um, UWL. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being so, so impressed. And then last year, I went and I saw Driving Miss Daisy, where you, yeah. you were awesome. 
You played mm. uh, what is it, Hulk? Oh yeah. You were so good. I mean, uh, stellar performance. Now, are you? Is there an effort to bring some acting to the garden? Yeah, we we were able to. You know, oh oh oh, thank you, Hercules, Hercules. Hey, listen, <laughs> we were able to. Uh, we were able to purchase. Two lots. The lot that the gang, the, the garden originally started on, we got it for a dollar from the city, thank you, Milwaukee. And there was a, a trouble house across the street that a lot of bad activity went in, shooting and dog fighting and stuff like that. And every time you talked about that house, it was just a negative story. I said, we need to get rid of that. So we talked with the Alder Woman, thank you, Alder Woman, Malele Cox, and we, um, the city raised the house and they showed us, sold us that property for a dollar. That's our fruit orchard, and in that orchard are seven fruit trees. Six of them I committed to six young black boys who lost their lives. Um, tragically, either while they were with our program or had left it or whatever. But the seventh tree I treasure the most, and it's Ruth Argery Smith, who was 91 when she passed away um, a year ago. She's the mother of Lisa Smith McCants, Jamal Smith with the Fighters Prevention Center, grandmother. And, and, and she had dementia. And she would love to come to the garden and have my 11-year-old grandson, Dr. Pina, Dr. Deontay Oscar Williams, read to her and play video games with her on the phone. And the family said she would be so pleasant when she got home and she remembered the garden. And so she's in there and, 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 and we're dedicating and committing that to her and to them so that everything don't have to be a nasty teddy bear tied around the tree after your loved one passed. It can be a beautiful plant that grows that you can come sit in a bench with a book next to and you can read to the memory of your son and to the memory of those that have lost theirs. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, I'm going to get you to shift a little bit and get in that frame so we can see your beautiful face. There you go. There you go. So, um, yeah. You got to direct the director. I know, right? I know, right? You are, there was a phrase, I can't remember. It was like putting your your hands well, in the soil and how that is healing. What do you mean by, why is gardening so transformational? Well, you know, I've got two black boys that, uh, we're told they can't talk to each other. And if you see that ninja walking over here, shoot him and kill him. One lives on 9th Street, the other one lives on 10th. So to go to the store on 10th and Keith, he has to walk all the way up 9th Street and go all the way down to Feebrats to walk over because if he go on the other block, he may face some beef. So now they told you that if you're at the garden before 8 o'clock, you can make $20. So you're running to get there. <laughs> You run in to get there, and it's your little boy, your 12-year-old boy, not the 16-year-old that's on the porch with the Glock waiting for Night Street boy to walk past. So it's your little boy who goes, and his hand is in the soil, and he's next to another little boy who has his hand in the soil, and he say, where you live? On 10th Street. Uh-oh, I'm not supposed to play with you. But Mr. Andre said, we can't take our hands out of the soil. <laughs> now he said, turn to your neighbor and ask him your name. Then he said, go home and tell your parents and your family what a good time you had and the new person you met from 9th Street and you can't wait to come back and play with them again and don't them mess that up. Mm. 
Now the 9th Street and the 10th Street boy play together. As long as they have their hands in the soil, they can keep them off the trigger of a gun. That's wonderful. That is and so the healing wonderful. process is that I believe that when you're in the soil, when you're tilling in the garden, you're focused. You, you, you escape the tears of the world. You're not watching for no, for no greater word to say. You're not watching the news. You're not hearing the bad stuff, even the gunshots or the different things that go on around you. You stop, you pass, but you always have something to get back to. You know, pulling the weeds, the metaphor of what that does, how pulling the weeds help the food grow better, but it also can kill it if you don't pull it. So you have to take the weeds and pull them, but you also can put the weeds in the compost pan and with the other food that you throw in the way that was good food that you didn't finish eating. And, and by next year, you have some more good soil that it can uh, produce good food. So in life, we have to stop just throwing the weeds away and we have to learn how to turn them around because the weeds can be beneficial when they start working with um, good, good, good food. When they start working with good food, the weeds can be beneficial. Excellent. You know, one of the, uh, the best uh, scenes I've ever seen is that of the boys in their tuxedos going to have a formal dinner. How did, are you going to have another one of those this year? I, well, with COVID, I don't know if that changes things. It may be next year mm-hmm. because of COVID. Um, one time my wife and I were going to dinner and we were dressed up and little Malik, Miss Andre, where are you going? Dressed up like that. It was Sunday. You're going to church? Nah. Where you going all dressed up like that? It's late. I said, I'm taking my wife to dinner. Well, it's so tired. Y'all dressed up to go to dinner? I said, Malik, when you get married, every once in a while, your wife want to dress up and go out to dinner sometimes. And you, as a man, got to provide that for her. And it can't be like it. she can't say, I could have cooked this at home. It's got to blow her mind. So you got to take her somewhere. Oh, wow, well, I ain't never wore no suit to dinner. So the whole time that my wife and I were sitting in Carson's, I was perplexed. And I said, now, why can't they go to eat in a suit if they wanted to? And she's like, this is our date, honey. You know, can you talk about something else? And I'm like, them boys ought to be able to. And before I knew it, I was talking with the manager. I said, I want to bring how many seats? She said, 100. I said, I want to bring... 100 people, 50 men and 50 black boys here for dinner. We got to shut it down for about four hours. And then did I know the protest I was creating, the, the, the formal protest that we were creating. And, 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 and she said yes, because the owner was very interested in subjects of little black boys um, having good times at dinners and things like that and etiquette and stuff like that. So um, I went home that night. At 12.30 a.m. and I put a post up and I'm telling you within 15 minutes about 38 men have responded. Within a week we had identified all 50 of the men and all 50 of the boys. We did the first 100 black tuxedo event at Carson's. And um, what a beautiful time they, to this day, young black boys say it was the first time, but it won't be the last time that they wore a tuxedo. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And they look so handsome. How was it being uh, uh, considered Steve Harvey's hero? 
Wow, my mind was blown because I thought I was going to get famous doing something. I thought I was going to get be on Steve, be on stage with Steve Harvey in a movie <laughs> or something. You know, I'm as good as he is. I can act like Steve Harvey do too. You know, but um, <laughs> oh, it was phenomenal. But more importantly, for those guys that um, young men that were able to experience going and being on the show and being recognized because you know at the time that we started we got this in june 2014 that was the same time that they announced that 53206 was the worst zip code in america to raise a black child but then all of a sudden here we were and that's mm-hmm. how steve harvey started the interview i'm talking about how they said that but this is strange look at this right here that's happening right over there. And there's much more good stuff happening. Yeah. But the Steve Harvey show gave us a national platform. People who wouldn't have known found out about us. And it prompted a lot of people to start dressing little black boys up because they saw the tuxedo event on the Steve Harvey show too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know you're a man of faith. And as you kind of look at your journey with we got this and all the things, you know, getting the property for a dollar and all that and the heart attacks and, you know, surviving them. I imagine you see God's work within everything. Taint nobody but the Lord. Taint (laughs) nobody but the Lord. I know who Jesus is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love God. You don't love God? What's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> I um, my faith is everything. Yeah. And and my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. I mean, I just I'm a sinner who's probably gonna sin again. I mean, Lord, forgive me. Sometimes I don't understand. That's like that's what Kendrick Lamar says, and I like that. But God is real, and how I know is when the doctor said. No, to me, I'm still here. And I'm past the time limit that they said it should be. You you just can't make it. How do you walk in between two firing bullets? How do you walk in between two guys who have guns and don't understand and you say, stop it because Jesus is looking. Yeah. And just start praying and it stops because you knew that it was even before you prayed. It's not nothing that I doubt God can do. Everything I'm not capable of, God can make happen still. Absolutely. Well, we've almost run out of time, but before we go, I want to make sure that I recognize because um, behind every good man, there's a good woman. And you've got a, you've got a good woman. Man, Angela is her name. My angel with an A on the end. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, Angela and I met about 14 years ago. And she, I had a bar, you know, and I was running on the bar. And Angela walked in the door, and I'm telling you, I looked up and I said, something said, that's your wife. And I said, my wife. And I had been practicing um, celibacy because I wanted a wife. I said, the next time I have sex with a woman, we're going to be married. And so um, she walked in, and, said, and I walked up to her and I said, hello. And we've not been apart since that day. We've been together every since that day, almost every day of our life, unless I went out of town or something. But even when we've been in the hospital, each of us have, we slept at the hospital with each other. I mean, um, I'm a witness. 
that I'll say it to anybody, and this is, and, and I'm particularly proud of this. The young men that I work with see me married for real. Mm. They see me, they see women are attracted to me. Look at me, I'm good looking. <laughs> yeah, you so, are. <laughs> well, I look good enough for somebody to be attracted to. Absolutely. It's my response that matters. I know that I'm married. I know what she means to me. Mm-hmm. I know who I am and I know whose I am. And I'd be a fraud to say that young black boys grow up, get married and be honest and all of that. And I'm not. Yeah. It don't work like that. My wife is my life. And if you match with her, I'm going to cut you with a knife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, um, I have seen a lot of your Facebook posts and I know um, about the death of your son, uh, Mm -hmm. Lauren Knox Sr. And, um, you know, some of your posts, they're heartbreaking, of course, heartfelt. But one of the things that resonates is the relationship that you guys had, which seems so special. Um, Some of the things of the experience, the memories that you share I want to tell you that I, I really appreciate that. Um, you're so transparent, but I know it's been a lot. It's been very painful for you, and I'm sure it still is. Um, That's the hardest thing to deal with ever, ever, yeah. ever. And just you, just you bringing it up right here, I'm I'm almost in tears because nobody would have, even though our son passed away from COPD mm-hmm. and he went for a walk with his family, his 11 year old son, his two year old son and his wife. And on the way back, his son asked him if they could race and they started running and uh, he collapsed and passed away after that. Mm-hmm. Um, what an awful thing for children to witness. He had a two year old boy who probably won't remember him that way but we'll probably remember what he remembers, if he remembers anything. So his birthday was two days ago, three days ago, and um, no pain, no pain for me. I can't even say I can feel the pain of what another parent feel after losing their own child, but it's different because this one's mine. Yeah. You know, so when people say, is there anything I can do? And if there's anything I can do, let me know. That's not true. Because what you can't do is bring them back. Mm. And I know what you mean. But when you say that to me, I wish you could. Yeah. Hard. I know it is. I know it is. My thoughts and prayers with you and your family and um, as you deal with this. Um, yeah, it's a big loss. But listen, Andre, thank you for joining yeah. me. I it's really appreciate to, it. It's time to go. Man, can I just <laughs> but, say one? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is it's time to go now for this podcast. But like I said before... I want you to be a regular guest because there are things that are happening within the community that you are so plugged into and we can talk some more. So, you know, this is so long for now. Now, what 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 were you going to say? What I want to say finally to people is that whatever you think about me, whatever you think about Beverly, whatever you think about this, stop thinking about that. And start thinking about how you can help, how you can help yourself, how you can help your family, how you can help in your community, how you can help the world. Then think about what you're doing that doesn't help and stop that. And start doing more of 
what health? It's helping that makes the world better. And it's helping that we're not doing. Help somebody, help somebody. Very good. That's a great way to end it, help somebody. Thank you. Hey, this is Mr. Andre Lee Ellis. He is the founder of We Got This. This is a nonprofit organization, so if you are so inclined to contribute, please do so. The 411 Live, also a nonprofit organization. If you would like to become a sponsor, go to the411live.org website. Uh, You can also see past podcasts, and you can see podcasts, of course, on any podcast platform and on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, be sure and subscribe. Again, Andre, thank you, and uh, we'll see you next time. And for all of you who are listening and watching the podcast, hopefully we'll see you next time too. I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk.